2: Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, a cast of thousands on hand here in uh, Durham, North Carolina, as we bring you a Baseball America podcast brought to you by MLB Network. I want to remind you that all of our podcasts are brought to you by MLB Network here at Baseball America, and that you can get a special MLB Network offer. Uh, If you go to BaseballAmerica.com slash MLB Network, you can get Baseball America four issues of the magazine for just four bucks. So once again, that's BaseballAmerica.com backslash MLB Network. That special offer, and we thank MLB Network for sponsoring the podcast. We've got Nathan Rohde, Connor Glassie, and Aaron Fitt all in my house to talk a little uh, 2011 draft at the natural time of year. Summer, a lot of the summer showcases are over, summer college leagues are all over, even the Northwoods League is over, even the NBC World Series is over. So we've gathered a lot more information about college and high school players for the 2011 draft. Really, in the fall, the information gathering by clubs really goes on with pro days for college teams with their fall practices. And then uh, the big Jupiter uh, Perfect Game World with that showcase, kind of the the big fall showcase event. Although we'll also be going to Arizona for an event, uh, the Arizona Classic. So we'll have a couple of showcases that we'll actually cover, high school showcases that we'll cover this fall. So it's not like we're not going to gather more information, but this is a natural time to really the the signing deadlines a couple weeks behind us. Let's look forward to 2011. And we'll start with uh, Aaron Fitt and myself and Connor, because we all did summer college league lists, and talked a little bit about the college class for 2011 and naturally, the two places that we start there, Aaron, are the Cape Cod League and USA Baseball. And of course, uh, regular listeners know we're very fortunate here Baseball America, based in Durham. Uh, I drive past, uh, I, I, I can almost see the lights of the USA Baseball Complex on my way to work. Uh, so we get to see, uh, really, uh, the, a lot of the top high school players in the class came through this year in the Tournament of Stars in June. Uh, then in July, the college national team was here. Now here in September, in a couple of weeks, we're going to see a lot of the top pro prospects, with USA Baseball's uh, pro team. That's a whole other podcast. But, Aaron, uh, we got to see really, I think it's safe to say, especially because we had Anthony Rendon for one game, like two innings, that, <laughs> but also between the trials and the games that USA Baseball pl- college team played here, we got to see really most of the top college players for 2011 played uh, with USA Baseball this summer. Really, the only guys I can think of who didn't are Matt Perk and Taylor Youngman, and they didn't play anywhere else. They just took the summer off. We got a chance to see in person, and obviously talk to a lot of scouts who saw the top college players. How do you assess uh, the college class of 2011 compared to recent classes?
1: I think it's considerably stronger than the class of 2009 uh, at the top, especially. Um, there's there's more depth of I think of elite talents this year than there has been in the college class, and I think you've got a, a very strong group of. of Elite arms, you know, like like Garrett Cole, we've been talking about for years now. It yeah. seems like, uh, and Taylor Youngman, I think is certainly in that group. Though he didn't pitch this summer, um, you know Matt Perk as well. It's kind of the, the really cream of the crop arms, and Matt Barnes, I think, has put himself in that discussion as well out of Connecticut. Very interesting. We're gonna have two Connecticut players potentially drafted in the top ten. Um, that is amazing. This year, because George Springer had a great summer,
2: and three really, if you want to count Jason
1: Espinita, Esposito. Esposita, obviously he's at right. Vanderbilt, but a Connecticut prep, so the Nutmeg state represent. But just the UConn, I mean, the, the, that program is really taking huge strides forward, and you know they were in a regional this year, they hosted a regional, um, and that wasn't a fluke. They're going to be really good again because George Springer and Matt Barnes, just just those two guys, you're, you're talking about a great foundation.
2: Um, and they got Elliot. Not, I mean, we're sidetracking. They also yeah. got Elliot Glenn back correct? Their yes, Friday they so they're Friday like starter.
1: They've got a lot of pieces
2: back. Their so. team's going to be good, but they're going to have a lot of heat on them with uh, yeah. draft-wise. Um, and Springer, I think, is one of the most interesting players to talk about, here because I think people, uh, especially college baseball fans, definitely know Cole and Perk. I think a lot of people know Cole and Perk. They saw him on national TV in the college series. They're both unsigned first-round picks. It's a no-brainer. Those guys are for the top. And obviously, Perk, an, uh, an eligible sophomore, didn't sign in 2009. So that's a big difference. He... Certainly adds some spice to this mix. And Taylor Youngman was on the national stage in 2009 at the Cowboys Series as a freshman at Texas. He was a stud, very good as a sophomore. Um, but the, the, the kind of the unknown is the position players. Anthony Rendon is the top player in the class, but he fractured his ankle. He's had two straight summers with ankle injuries. Uh, he didn't play after his freshman year because he injured himself in the regional. Then uh, really first game, I guess, of the summer college season, uh, gets on base and gets caught, picked off and snaps his ankle in know, ugly-looking injury. Sounds like it wasn't as bad after the surgery, but still that question is going to be hanging over him all spring. Uh, that leaves the door open for other position players. Um, George Springer seems to be the guy mm-hmm. who burst through that the most uh, between the couple weeks he was in the Cape and then the summer with Team USA. Who else is in that mix, position player wise? I guess Jackie Bradley Jr. is probably most likely there. Yeah. Let's compare and contrast Bradley and Springer because I think they're pretty different players.
1: They are very different players. I mean, they're both five-tool talents, uh, but uh, Springer is more of a—he's more physical, first of all. He's bigger. Um, his tools, his raw tools, are just playing louder. You know, he's got more raw power. Uh, I think he's got more speed. Um, you know, the arm strength is probably comparable. He's got a ferocious swing. He's got a really big swing. I mean, he's just—he's just a I don't want to call him an untamed five-tool talent uh, because he's made a lot of progress, you know, with his aptitude offensively. But certainly he's just scratching the surface. And I think Bradley is um, is, is closer to what he's going to be. I mean, he's more of a solid average across the board kind of guy, except for his defense, which is exceptional. He's much really more,
2: much yeah, more polished player. He's
1: a more polished player, um, certainly offensively and defensively, too. I mean, he's, he's a, a truly elite defensive outfielder, even though his speed is really just kind of solid average, maybe 55. um, His instincts definitely make everything play up for that guy.
2: Uh, To me, I mean, he obviously was on, he was a Cowboys Series MVP or most outstanding player. That obviously adds to it. To me, because he's a guy who at the, uh, you know, when he needed to be at his best, he was at his best. I think there's more power in there with Jackie Bradley Jr. I think we're really going to see that in 2011. And if if we do see that power, then I think he's going to challenge to be that second position player drafted after Rendon. Because this is a guy who had a hand, hand injury or yeah. in the year, and most of the time, guys need a little bit of time—six months or a year—to really get that snap back, that handsy looseness, as Connor Glassy has written about, uh, you know, about uh, you know your swing and uh, to generate that kind of power. Um, the other thing, though, that stands out, having done a lot of these summer leagues, Aaron, is after those two outfielders, there's some, there's some real—and yeah, obviously Rendon. There's some real questions about the rest of this draft class college hitters. Again, that's. Yeah. That's a consistent weakness. I'm looking at Jim Callis' Cape Cod League top 30. Uh, you know, you look at the top 10. The only other position player who's in that is Andrew Susac. Um, you know, Connor, you've uh, you know talked, you do a Pacific Northwest for us and the the West in the draft. We've talked a little bit about Susac. I'm not sure that I'm a firm believer in Susac. I'm not sure I'm a firm believer in Jason. Coach so these guys as first rounders for 2011. Is, is Andrew Susac a first rounder for, in your mind for 2011? You know, I definitely think he could be because catching is always such.
0: You know, there's always such a premium put on catching. But I think there definitely are question marks. I mean, he came in. He was my number one prospect last year in the West Coast League. Yeah. And then just really kind of struggled initially, you know, there at Oregon State. But then he goes back out again and, and mashes with wood in the Cape. and um, so 500,
2: 500 slugging in the Cape is loud. It is. So, you know,
0: why he can't do that with metal at Oregon State, I mean, we'll see. I would guess that he's going to have – a much better year than he did last year. And um, you know, he he'll definitely be in that
2: mix as, as a catcher and, and a guy that can hit. Seems there and I probably shouldn't believe a little bit more in Andrew Susak.
1: I think Susak and, and Peter O'Brien from Bethune Cookman are two guys who you know, who helped their stock this summer and kind of merge as the top two catchers in the college class. Uh Peter O'Brien's Story. He had a really, really big, you know, nice uh, summer impression, I guess, with, with Team USA. I mean, he showed 70 raw power in batting practice. He, I, I talked to one scout who said that it was almost like, uh, like Rendon, Springer, and O'Brien were, were kind of the varsity guys when they were watching BP, and everybody else was junior varsity. Just the, the way the, bat, uh, the, the ball came off their bats was just louder than everybody else. So That's
2: kind of damning for the rest of the players on that team a little bit, because uh, there are other players on that team with more... Uh, prospecty goodness, supposedly, than Peter O'Brien. But O'Brien also, I think the bigger question, you know, the guy, the, the one thing you talk about at competition. He plays at Bethune Cookman. That's one thing. But he had a, they do play in a pro park. Yeah, Bethune Cookman plays at Daytona Beach, uh, the Daytona Cubs Park at Jackie Robinson Stadium. So when he's hitting home runs even with metal bats. It's a legit ballpark. I think mean, that's a that's a that's a factor. He's doing it in a Florida State League ballpark. But then he had to answer questions about his receiving. And he doesn't catch arms like. Garrett Cole, Abathune Cookman. Right.
1: Did he answer those questions well enough uh, for scouts? You, you know, I think, I think he did. I mean, it's, it's still a work in progress. But one thing that struck me was when I was talking to Sonny Gray at the end of the summer for our, our Summer Player of the Year story. Another hard thrower. Guy who throws 93 to 96 with life. Also the hardest tweeter on the, on the staff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and he's got a power curveball. I mean, he's, he's just power stuff all the way. Uh, he said he loved throwing to Peter O'Brien. He thought Peter did a great job. He went out of his way to mention it, in fact.
2: Well, he's been throwing to Andrew Jobby and uh, Aaron Westlake. Um, no offense to Andrew Jobby and Aaron Westlake. I guess that actually was offense to <laughs> Aaron Westlake <laughs> and Andrew Jobby. But uh, he's throwing to an actual catcher. Maybe that helped. Uh, but good for Sonny Gray and good for Peter O'Brien. Uh, it's a Baseball America podcast with, uh, again, a cast of thousands. Let's move past that top tier of guys, though, uh, or in position players, and talk about some of the players on, on some of these other leagues who made some impressions. I'm um, going to go in alphabetical order. Um, anyone worth talking about for the 2011 draft in the Atlantic Collegiate League, Aaron?
1: You know, it was a strong year for that league. A couple of Stanford guys really highlighted the list, led by the, the left-hander uh, Chris Reed. Um, there were some others who didn't make the list just because Stanf- they didn't.
2: Stanford guys of the ACBL. i got to say, yeah. that's, that's shocking.
1: You're going to see one uh, recurring theme in this discussion is Stanford players are just scattered all over these lists. I mean, there's several leagues where they're 1-2 in the rankings, I think. Um, certainly the the NECBO with Kenny DeKroger and Mark Capel, two big-time oh. prospects.
2: Yeah, and in the Alaska League, Connor, which you did Jake with Stewart. Uh, uh, Jake Stewart. So it's a, it's a heavy Colorado flavor, though, in Alaska, which is you know kind of interesting. They're sort of similar geographically. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, in the Alaska League, Jake Stewart was number one. He won't be eligible until until next year, 2012, but... Uh, right behind him was a guy named Jared Berger, and he's an interesting guy to keep an eye on. He's at Northern Colorado, which not known for, you
2: know, the other being U- a baseball powerhouse. The other UNC. Right. Well, but back in the day, I think in the sixties, Northern Colorado, either in the sixties or seventies, Northern Colorado went to like seven College series, and the head coach of that team has the worst one loss record in College Series history. I believe they were like two and eighteen yeah. all time in the College series. But they got there. So they were a regional power at one time. So there is some tradition in Northern Colorado, but they've uh, gone from D1 back on to D2, I believe. They may have even cut their program, now they're back at Division 1, and they're independent. So he's definitely uh, the best player who's been in Northern Colorado, at the very least, since, uh, what's the right-handed p- pitcher for the uh, Brennan Gar, who's in the Rangers organization. Yeah. So there's a little Northern <laughs> Colorado knowledge
0: for you. Nice. Well, well Berggren was, was pretty interesting. I mean, he's like 6'3", 205, big physical body, And, and he has loud tools. I mean, he can, he has power and he has speed and that's something scouts are always looking for. That combination is rare. He did get hurt. Kind of, he kind of had a a mirror season to what Jake Stewart did up up there in Alaska. He got hurt. He missed like the final three weeks and uh, scouts that went up there for like the scout days and and they were kind of up there in July. They missed a lot of the guys. They didn't see a lot of the guys that ended up being on my list. Um, A lot of them got hurt or were shut down for innings or whatever, but. It was it was kind of a down year up there.
2: It seems Overall. like and I don't mean to get stuck on this theme, but it seems like the Alaska League has suffered as the California Collegiate League and the West Coast League have become more significant players in summer college leagues. I mean those team those two leagues somebody siphon off a lot of talent that used to go to Alaska. It used to be Alaska was like the place where the top West Coast players went what was the West Coast League's uh, summer list like this uh, this year? It, and the talent was, like up there. It
0: was it was okay. I mean, um I think it was Pretty comparable to last year. There was definitely a top five uh, that kind of solidified themselves as the top five. And then the, the bottom five on that list, I mean, there were basically 15 guys I could have put in that bottom five. Right. I mean, it was kind of a, a free-for-all down there at the, the back half of that list. But so what you're saying that
2: is that next year the West Coast League is going to be a top 20? Are going to just keep going crazy with these summer league lists? Uh, no, I wouldn't go that far. Neither would I. But Steve Sabolo again, you know, uh, and one thing we keep finding, and Aaron, this is like a recent trend as well, Alan know, Nathan, you might be able to comment on this as well. It seems like there are more high school players who play in these summer college leagues. Uh, you know, 2007, I guess it was.
1: I seem to remember Neil Ramirez being like our number one guy in the, in the Cal Ripken league. Yeah,
2: and that was a big deal.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and I think even a couple of years ago, maybe maybe 2008, uh, Victor Sanchez did that, and he was number one guy in the Northern North, I mean, North Woods, League. Correct. We were definitely in the Victor Sanchez
2: business. And Kyle Blair,
1: I believe, was up there as well, if I'm not mistaken.
2: I think he was. I know that in in my tenure as the college beat writer, and we didn't do as many summer college league lists. But I do remember the only high school player I can remember who really stood out in one of these summer college leagues was Mark Teixeira. He went for a half season after a senior year in high school to the, might be the Cal Griffith League or the Clark Clark League. League. Clark Griffith League. I think he had seven home runs (laughs) and like 60 at-bats with Wood. And uh, blew up, really, in that league. But it seems like it happened more and more now,
3: Connor.
0: Yeah, and it has been happening for a while. I mean, I remember guys I talked to in Alaska talking about Dave Winfield coming up there. Well, actually, they were talking about how impressive Kyle Richter was okay. coming up. And not many players have gone up to Alaska after their senior year of high school and, and done well. But uh, one of the coaches I talked to was really impressed at, at how well Kyle Richter handled himself, both on the field and just maturity-wise. Yeah. And compared him to Dave Winfield just mm. in that sense of how ready he was to play at that level.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing. Alaska, it has happened from time to time in Alaska. That's a league where I do remember uh, high school players popping up. Scott Robinson is a name that pops up in my head. And I also believe Sequoia Stonecipher went to Alaska after his high school senior year, and now he's playing pro ball. So, um, you know, bad back and all. But, uh, you know, Steven Sabol is number one in our Alaska in our West Coast League list, correct? I mean, yeah where are you and Nathan on Steven Sabol? Uh, this is a guy we covered a lot this year. I mean, this is this a guy that so Andrew Susak's already at Oregon State? Stephen Sabol's going to Oregon. How do those guys compare as players? Kind of compare and contrast those guys. Nathan, I'm putting you on the spot. Well, I think uh Sabal, you know, has athleticism
3: on his side. Not that Susak's not athletic, um, but Sabol is kind of a supreme athlete. Uh he's just chiseled. That's his, uh, his best tool, isn't it? Just his, yeah, athleticism. his athleticism is just off the charts. I should say his best attribute rather than his
2: tool. Right. That's what stands out about um,
3: him. And I think he can really hit. I've seen him uh, you know, at several showcases sting the ball really well with wood. Okay. Um, so, I mean, obviously he can do some damage with uh, metal as well. Uh, I think the big question is is whether he's going to stay behind the plate or not. Uh, there seems to be a split camp on that, and uh, you know a lot of people think, yeah, you know what, he can probably catch, and there's a lot of people there being like, no, he can't catch; he's an outfielder right. or first baseman. So you know that remains to be seen, and I think um, going to Oregon is going to be a real test for him to see if he can catch there.
1: You know, it strikes me, John, that uh, Oregon—if we didn't already know—they're going to be really good this year. Yeah, they—I mean—they've got two incoming freshmen. Physical offensive players yeah. who are number ones on some of our summer league lists, which is a smooth transition to the California Collegiate League. There it is. Very strong year for the Cal Collegiate League. Uh, really could have gone 15 deep easily with quality prospects. Yeah, I could write up 20.
2: Uh, I was actually tempted, but uh, then I decided I'm not crazy. But <laughs> that league is loaded, and Ryan Healy, to me, was kind of the breakthrough guy of this whole summer league list for me because I didn't know the name coming in. And it sounds like the, one of the word, word i heard, and obviously a lot of these things get done around the rumors, but they were, he definitely put out a seven-figure signing bonus that it would take to sign him away from Oregon. I understand it was more than just, like, you can't just creep over $7 million. It was a lot of money. I mean, over $1 million. It was a lot of money that he wanted to be kept away from Oregon, and he wasn't even drafted. But this is a guy, I thought the two, actually, it was blew me away, found two scouts who did coverage of that league. And uh, one threw out Evan Longoria's name, and another one threw out Scott Rowland's name. That was really attention-getting. And there was a lot of pitching in that league, a lot of arms. Uh, definitely could have gone with an arm at the top of that league list. It uh, could have gone with the Texas left-handers, Sam Stafford or Holby Milner. Could have gone with uh, uh, you know, Chris Joyce, was a 10th runner out of high school. It's physical, perhaps too physical left-hander, maybe kind of a Justin Wilson type, a thick-bodied left-handed pitcher. Uh And there were some right-handed arms in that league as well, like uh, Carson Smith only made three starts uh, out of Texas State for the Santa Barbara Foresters, and he was, you know, lights out in those three starts. Could have gone Jordan Scheipers, who got $800,000 from the Mariners this year. Kevin Gossman. Kevin Gossman, who does 97 miles an hour, some unsubstantiated, I'll say, reports of 100 miles an hour from Kevin Gossman. But uh, Ryan Healy, uh, you know, this is a guy who was 11-0 as a high school pitcher as a junior, Uh, Eric Sonnmeier, is that his name? The guy, Sonheimer, Sonheimer, L.A. Times writer, wrote a very flattering story about Ryan Healy when he was a junior. I thought about his pitching background because his mom was a star softball player in the Southland uh, in high school. So he comes from an athletic family, and, you know, that league was deep. But when you get guys comparing uh, Ryan Healy to top-shelf third baseman, uh, like uh, with power and defense, and that's the one question with Healy is the defense. Uh, but he's six four, about two hundred two hundred five pounds. Strength in his swing. Uh, very exciting prospect. And it does sound like Oregon's got a chance. With Sabol, you know, they, they, they didn't hit it all two years ago. They hit just enough in two thousand ten. With Tyler Anderson and Scott McGuff, who were on that Team USA college national team, and both were in your top twenty. Yeah. You got a legit Friday guy. You got a legit closer. They have two freshmen stepping in who can really hit. It sounds like it have the possibility that they're physical enough to step in as freshmen in the Pac-10. A uh, pretty exciting summer for Oregon fans. They're
1: going to they're going to be very good in the mound too. I mean because they've got Christian Jones who is an elite recruit last year who yeah, I think is going to I think he's going to be uh, a, a stud this year as a sophomore. Uh Madison Bohr, a, a hard-throwing right-hander who is up the Northwoods League list. He's number 10 on the Northwoods League list. Um you know, he could hold down your bullpen, maybe move McGuffin into the rotation. They've got options there. Uh, but the big difference is they're going to be so much more physical offensively now with Sabol and, and, and Healy added to that mix with Jack Martyr Jack Martyr, Martyr coming experience back. Yeah. And Ryan Hambright. I mean, they're going to be really good.
2: That's for another podcast, but Sorry. Oregon, and that's okay. <laughs> Oregon is going to be really good, and so is UConn. Yeah. And those two teams were in the same regional last year, and that's amazing to me that Oregon, you know, Florida State won that regional. And in our preseason poll next year, I would guess the Florida State would rank after those two teams. And Florida State should be good next year, yeah. but they also lost some guys to the late in the signing period that they would have liked to have had. A Ben Gamble did Jose Dore sign? I forget. Yeah, he did sign. I mean, they lost some guys in that recruiting class. That Caleb Coward obviously would have been really nice to have uh, for the Seminoles, uh, for Seminole Nation to have had in the Garnet and Gold. Uh, it's John Manuel and some three more sane people on the Baseball America podcast. Um, A couple other summer college league uh, things we want to talk about, uh, Aaron. We did 18 summer college leagues. And I think uh, one thing that, you know, one year we ranked the leagues in talent. We'll never Mm -hmm. do that again (laughs) because we did not have a positive reception to that ranking. I think my general points about summer college baseball, and and obviously you guys, uh, Connor and Nathan, you guys can speak to this as well if you'd like. Because Nathan worked in the the Valley League back in the day. You're you're well-versed in summer college leagues. Summer college baseball has exploded. Um, there's so many leagues, and there is a lot of talent out there. I guess I – am I correct? My, my impression is that the talent in these leagues comes and goes um, as to which leagues are good one year, which leagues are bad the next year, that kind of thing. I don't know. Do we feel like the expansion and the explosion of these leagues has been good for college baseball? Does it give – because it gives more players more opportunity? Has it really just been kind – of, has it kind of muddied the waters just because uh, – there are so many leagues. What's your impression of its expansion? And do you see this dying down a little bit? Do you see more, uh, the continued proliferation of summer college leagues? Uh, Where do you see that trend as we're going? And and is it good for players? Has it been good for for player development in your mind?
1: I feel like we've probably reached the point of saturation when it comes to the the sheer number of leagues. Um, I, I think it's not a bad thing to have, you know, 18 to 20 pretty good leagues out there, opportunities for a lot of players to go play. I mean, a lot of good junior college players, too, who, you know, That's have a chance to, to find a place to play. And, and Division two, II, Division three guys. I mean, you've got guys in the North Woods League like... Uh, yeah, we went 20 uh, deep in that league this year because we it was so deep. It was very... I mean, it's, it's a very good league. But you guys like Jordan Smith from St. Cloud State, Minnesota, uh, a guy that nobody's ever heard of. He's a small school guy. Goes up there and hits, you know, three... 70 or something, and right. then all of a sudden, he, this guy's a prospect, you know, I mean, and there's guys like that that, that, that creep up every year, small school guys who can kind of make their name uh, in these summer college leagues. Connor, the, kind of the, the kid from North, uh, Northern
2: Colorado you're talking about, yeah, uh, exactly. Bergman, I mean, maybe 10 years ago, five years ago, if he doesn't get to the Alaska League because that roster's full of Stanford guys and other Pac-10 players, now he gets a chance and obviously made the most of it and, you know, uh, made an impression on scouts, so at least he's going to be a follow this year. Um, you know, when I, when I think of the Valley League, I'm not pigeonholing you on the Valley, but I always think of players from the U going to the Valley League. Uh, now I'm going to guess. I mean, I'm going to guess. It seems like I saw Miami players on other leagues this year. So, like in my mind, the Valley League is good when it has good players from the U and down when the U is down. You know, the U is a little bit down. They're not sending Yonder Alonso up there like it did five, six years ago. Uh, it just seems to me that those leagues ebb and flow with, uh, in terms of the levels of their talent.
3: It sure does. I mean, I remember watching the Valley League, seeing Yonder Alonso. I saw the Figueroa brothers play there when I was in middle school, high school. Paco um, and Danny, that's awesome. Exactly.
2: Future, uh, you did not know they were the future bulwarks of a Spain's <laughs> international team, but did they not are. know that.
3: But I mean, I remember and actually made friends with Adam Everett when he played there because you know I grew similar up build. Ten, yeah, uh, I grew up <laughs> ten minutes, you know, from one of the teams. So yeah, I think with the increase in the leagues, we've seen. Uh, For example, the Valley League kind of decrease in talent a little bit. I mean, I can go back, and when I covered that league for a local newspaper, I can go back to my scorebook and see names like you know, Daniel Murphy and Eddie Rodriguez and things like that, but uh, it does go up and down because, I mean, as we all know, the coaches, uh, these leagues also rely on a lot of networking in order to get the players. We all know that Cape Cod's always going to be at the top, but the other ones are going to kind of fluctuate given, you know, who's coaching where and who's sending his players and who's coaching in those leagues and can get those players. It does Um, seem like
2: like the Northwoods has consistently established itself as the new number two, leaving the Alaska League behind. I would say the other leagues all kind of jostle. And Just talking to coaches, you know, the coaches want to work in the Northwoods and the Coastal Plain Leagues because they play the most games. Uh, You do a lot of travel, but you play a lot of games. You have an opportunity to recruit players from, like, the Big 12, or the SEC, or the ACC, so you have an opportunity to get big-name players. You don't have as many restrictions on JUCO players as there are in the Cape. And then I think the uh, final thing is it seems like those leagues pay more. Those are more for-profit leagues. They draw more fans. And my impression, just talking to coaches both in the California Collegiate League and the Jayhawk League the last couple of years, having done the Coastal Plain League in the past, those, those leagues pay better. So that's a little thumbnail sketch from our experience. I mean, Aaron, is there another league that's kind of in that mix for you, is it really kind of like Cape, then Northwoods, and kind
1: of everybody else? Yeah, I think so. I mean, this year, I think from a talent perspective, the Cal Collegiate League is also right there, uh, you know, with pretty much with the Northwoods. And I was very impressed, very impressed with the talent in that Cal Collegiate League this year. But, um, you know, and Coastal Plain, I I think, is a really quality league. Um, Very well organized, well run. Really, really is. Uh, Their talent is always solid. I mean, I, I don't think it's quite at the North Woods level. I don't, I don't want to get into ranking and in, right. things into <laughs> tiers. But, right. I'm just but, saying, but sure, year to
2: later. year it changes. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. I think the pretty. I think the North Woods League deserves credit. They, they, they've got a pretty high yeah.
1: level of play there. And, and one more thought: that it was a really good year. We should mention for the NECBL because yeah. largely because of those Stanford guys. I mean, you got. Dick Kroger and Appel, I mean, these guys are, are probably first-round picks uh, in 2011, uh, 2012, rather. Um, and I think the North was,
2: the NECBL deserves credit for having been the league where we all really kind of figured out. Hey, Steven Strasburg's really good, you know. That's I it, mean, uh, yeah. he was the number one prospect there a couple of years ago. And uh, if I were the NECBL, I'd be touting that, uh, even in 2011, even with Strasburg on the shelf. Uh, let's talk a little bit. We talked a little bit about high school players. Most of the high school players that went to summer college leagues, are going to college and will not be in the 2011 draft. We didn't have any high school juniors that I found who went to summer college leagues and tore it up. Instead, they play in showcases. They play for Tournament of Stars. They play PG National. Uh, they play all over the summer showcase circuit, Circuit AFLAC, Area Codes, uh, Under Armour Game in Chicago, East Coast Pro. And we had either of you guys at every one of those events except for uh, uh, Area Codes and I guess AFLAC where David Perkin was. Uh, so let's talk a little bit, let's turn our attention to the high school class. 20, 2010 draft was a pretty high school heavy year. I mean, I'm, yeah. obviously Bryce, Bryce Harper was a J.C. guy, but a pretty high school heavy year. I think it was an interesting contrast of just three years ago, 28 draft, 2008, you had two high school pitchers who got drafted in the entire first round, Garrett Cole and Ethan Martin, one of whom didn't sign. And then two years later, you had, you know, really just seemed like a lot of high school, high school pitching. And high school right-handers in particular were the strength of the 2010 draft. What's the strength of the 2011 high school class, Nathan, and then Connor, uh, you can weigh in as well. What's the strength of the, of the class coming up for next year, Nathan? Well, I think you're going to
3: see a lot of, you know, very good right-handers, uh, especially, I mean, the high school right-hander kind of, I mean, they're they're hard to figure out. We all know about the risk, but, uh, you know, like you said, in 2008, there was only two. I think we're going to see definitely more of that next year, uh, you know, with the Dylan Bundys in the world and, uh, you know, the Archie Bradleys and guys like that, a lot of, physical, power right-handers in this class, um, you know, that aren't just, you know, don't just have that pure fastball,
2: but they also have good secondary stuff as well. Do we have a chance maybe to have, like, a, a duel of some left hand I just remember in 2000, uh, well, I guess it was 2009, where we had Matzik and, I'm um, forgetting the other left hand Perk. Perk, duh. Matsick <laughs> and Perk. There was this debate all year, which one of those guys is better? And then your high school right-handers, you had Jacob Turner, you had Shelby Miller, and a third Joker, or no? Was it just those two guys? No, it was I think so Miller, Zach Wheeler, Wheeler or... who went higher than any, either of them. Yeah. But you had like there didn't seem like there was a consensus until maybe right before the draft, late in the high school season. Tyler Matzik, his velocity took a step forward, which you know he has not maintained that in his first pro season. That's a whole other story. But that year's draft class really something. There was a pool of high school pitchers. And then you have, like, the dueling lefties and the kind of this, this trio of right-handers that people liked. or just, you know, Some like Shelby Miller better. My recollection was just a, uh, was a Turner whom the Tigers took ended up being kind of the yeah, consent. Turner. Jacob Turner ended up kind of being the consensus <laughs> top guy before the draft. I just see in the left-hander. You have Daniel Norris and you have Henry Owens.
0: Yeah.
2: Is there a debate between those two? Or is one, is, and is there anybody else, uh, another left-hander who's in that mix with them as the top left-handed? That you're well, the I, class?
0: you know, I think Norris is definitely the top guy in this year's class. Um but Owens isn't far behind. I mean, Norris has shown better velocity presently, but you look all you have to do is look at Owens and how he's he's just a big string being out there and if he adds some muscle, you know, that velocity could definitely be in there. Right. So uh Norris is definitely ahead right now, but Owens is close and it, it could be it could definitely be a debate as the as the spring goes on. We'll see. You know how that turns
2: out. And Norris is the Tennessee kid. You know there's some nodes uh around the country, Nathan, where people are gonna they are kinda gonna be some high school hotspots. Obviously, Southern California always is. I don't like Oklahoma and Tennessee. I mean Norris is in Tennessee with Nikki Delmonico. to a lesser extent Pfeiffer. Phil Pfeiffer's a I know he's not as projectable, but a guy with a good breaking ball, left hand with a lot of international experience with the, the, the USA Stinks. team. Right. Hopefully throws less breaking balls probably uh as a senior. <laughs> um But uh, so Tennessee seems like a hot spot. Where else around the country, uh, maybe if you're a fan who's listening to this and you're wondering if your area is hot or cold for 2011, where are some other hot spots like Tennessee? North Carolina is going to be huge next year.
3: We've um, already you know, written that story. We have written that story, and, you know, we all we can do is just repeat it because the class is going to be really, really good. Dylan Maples. Uh, Dylan Maples is up there. He's in that class of right-handers that we're talking about with power stuff and good secondary stuff. Great point. Uh, but we're talking also about uh, Josh Tobias, who's a, kind of a quick twitch athlete, athlete uh, infielder right now. There's debate as to whether he'll play center field. He's got good speed. Uh, you know, kind of just – he really packs a punch. He's a little guy, but, you know, really strong. Uh So I mean, you see guys like that, and then Oklahoma
2: sounds like it's really a big. It's going to have a good year in twenty eleven if everyone stays healthy. Right.
3: Yeah, everyone has to stay healthy and not throw one hundred and forty pitches in one game. uh, Dylan Bundy, we're looking at you, Owasa High. (laughs) Uh,
2: Owasa is probably as strong and a traditional program. It is. It's. I mean, if you look around the country, country. you probably have to put it in the short list, like top five. Absolutely. Producing, they produce players. um, Division one college players, they produce you know pro players. Who's they, the best alum? We, who's the, off the top of your head? Who's the top Owasso alum? Um, Aaron, you have to Google that for us right Pete now. Cosma, maybe. Oh, there you go. Uh, That's God, not he, bad. That's recent alum, sure. I think they had the. Uh, didn't they have the Treyhern kids as well? They did. They had Dallas,
3: Dallas
2: Treyhern. Uh, so, that, 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 those guys stick out in my head. Uh, and then obviously California, SoCal's going to be good. Yeah. SoCal's so, so going to be strong. Connor. Is who is. who know, are some is. other? Who are some other? Uh, I guess well, since you guys, let's talk about the events you guys went to. You went to PG Nationally. You went to East yeah. Coast Pro. Who are some of the high school players who, in your mind, improved themselves the most, either at events you went to or events you didn't go to, who made the most name for themselves in the summer high school show, uh, showcase circuit, first Connor and then Nathan? Well, I mean, Bubba
0: Starling has been just really fun to watch this year, and that's one thing I wanted to kind of talk about is, while there's always the hot spots, this year is really interesting because there's also a lot of players in areas where it's, it's not a hotspot. Not traditional I mean, guys, you've got Bubba so. Starling, who's from Kansas, there's uh, Nebraska
2: Blake, football commit, correct? Yeah,
0: that's right. There's Blake Swihart, uh who's probably the top catcher and one of the top hitters in this class. He's from New Mexico. Oh yeah. Porter Clayton is one of the top. But does he go to Does he go to Moriarty High by chance? No, he doesn't.
2: That's too bad. Yeah. Kyle Blanks at Matt Moore High School. It's a It's a good sign if you go to Moriarty High, if you ask me.
0: Yeah. Uh, Porter Clayton's one of the top left-handers in this class, and he's from Idaho. We've got Brandon Nemo from Wyoming. I mean. Nice. Brandon
2: Nemo from Wyoming. Now that's a kind a story. I got a little overheated about Dusty Harvard a few years ago, who was like the first division one I, I believe the stat was established that he was the first Wyoming high school baseball player to sign a division one scholarship in like since like Mike Lansing. And he went to Oklahoma State. I don't even think he's at Oklahoma State anymore, is he? he didn't hit very much did he no, you? he hardly played. He hardly played at Oklahoma State. But I mean like that was a big deal and he got drafted in the twenty eighth round. Um you know, that was a big deal for Wyoming. So the fact that it, Nimmo, his brother, his older brother, played in Nebraska, so we already know there's some talent. He's kind of like the Zach Elgin, that was the Dakotas kid who was a 13th-round pick, now is at Kansas. And I like is kind of like the analogy, uh, analogous player for, uh, for for Wyoming. I think Nimo's going to go, you know,
3: single-digit guy. depending on signability, obviously, that's always a factor. But sure. it, he definitely is single-digit talent. Uh, he's definitely one of my favorite players from this summer. He just showed that he can really hit. Uh, you know, he went off the tournament of stars, got the invite to the Under Armour game, then went to the Under Armour game and just continued to, you know, really put on a show. Uh, doesn't have high school baseball, you know, just plays legion. Right. So right. It, it's a, it, what he's doing now without high school baseball, spring baseball, it's only, it's just really interesting to see what he's going to be able to do, uh, you know, once he gets into the consistent routine of uh, playing baseball year-round, unlike you can in Wyoming. But also my uh, my other favorite guy from this summer is uh, Cody Kukuk. Um, Cody what now? Cody Kukuk. K-U-K-U-K. <laughs> um, no way. I'm not kidding. Alaska. Um, is he from Alaska? No, he is not. He's a, he's a Midwest guy. Um, That's an awesome name. But, uh, you know, he's he's a good physical left-hander. Uh, he's got a solid fastball, but he also throws a two-seamer that has really good movement. Uh, And he commands it well, and he's got a slider as well, which is an out pitch. Hmm. Also mixes a curveball and a changeup in there. I talked to him after a game at the Tournament of Stars, and he is one of those guys, he doesn't have huge stuff, but it's good enough, and he just knows what he's doing. He has a plan on every single hitter. Uh, He tries to get ahead with the fastball on strike one, and then he goes with the movement and placing the breaking balls And for me, after Daniel Norris and Henry Owens, I like Cody Cookup. Porter Clayton's definitely in that conversation, but... Uh, you know, maybe down the road you guys are going to call me biased, but uh, <laughs> Cody Kuka, I think, is going to be a, a guy that's going to really, you know, make a name for himself this week. Well, fight. he's already going
2: to make a name for himself, because <laughs> his name is Cody Kuka, <laughs> is The best palindrome last name I can think of in a long time right there. <laughs> <laughs> I had not even thought about that, but that is tremendous. The like, best uh, palindrome last name since Sandy Nien, who pitched for the Blue Jays. Uh, and now He's not a pitching coach in that organization, kinda. Yeah, I thought I'll you had you, something on Cody Kukuk as well. Not Kukuk, but I'll give you two other guys that
0: really I mean, a lot of these guys kinda came in as as known quantities. I mean, that's just the way high school baseball is these days. There's more emphasis put on, you know, players at younger and younger ages, whether it's through recruiting or, you know, these agents going out there and trying to sign these guys as soon as possible. And it's getting a little ridiculous. But Ooh. two guys really made names for themselves at, at events this summer. One, I saw at East Coast Pro and wrote an article about him, and that's Derek Fisher. Yep. And he uh, – Great
2: three-point stroke. <laughs> Sorry. Wrong Derek Fisher.
0: <laughs> he uh, – you know, we talked about the power-speed combination. He has that. He has an, a, a nice left-hand swing. With the ball jumps off his bat. And then he ran one of the fastest 60s at East Coast Pro, too. I think it was like a 6.56. 6. Um, so he, he really kind of – I mean, it seemed like he came out of nowhere there. But obviously the scouts knew about him because those teams are picked by scouts. And obviously Virginia knew about him because he's already sure. going there. Uh, and then another guy who I, I didn't see this summer, but he was at area codes and, and really seemed to stand out there is Charles Tilson. He sounds
2: like he has a chance. I am not want to put too much on Charles Tilson, but he sounds like he has a chance to be the Mike Trout of the 2011 draft as a northern guy that people know. I mean, like, Mike Trout was committed to East Carolina, and he was a known entity entering the year. I mean, Nathan was tracking him basically all spring in New Jersey. I mean, I got like daily batting practice updates from Mike <laughs> Trout, it seemed like, from Nathan. But I mean, that was good. That was great in retrospect because he, his, family wanted people to know, and he was very difficult to scout. It's almost kind of like a Jason Hayward 07 kind of story, where people wouldn't pitch to Hayward, as the story goes, and that's how he fell to the 14th pick, you know. Kind of the opposite, though, because Hayward was trying to be kind of hidden. Like the, the Braves were trying to hide Hayward, where people just couldn't see Trout, even though his family did everything they could to, okay, we're going to have him take BP, right. even though it's raining outside. I what, he had played three games by the time we did our draft preview issue in early May? It was something... May. It was it absurd was. like that. It was like three or four games. Like his stats were like non-existent because he had three or four games and he'd been walked basically all the time. So, I mean, uh, he was trying to switch hit as well, if I recall. I mean, it was uh, – he was a tough guy to scout. Yeah. Uh, Charles Tilson seems like he's already committed, but he's committed to Illinois. Supposedly there's stories out there that you know, Jim Callis has heard. And he, the other great part about this for us <laughs> is going to be fascinating to watch is that Charles Tilson goes to high school in Jim Callis' district in Winnetka area, New Trier High School, where Jim's son goes to school. So um, Jim's going to go to games. That just makes me chuckle. So can't wait to see Jim out there braving that's the cold, wearing a parka. We're going to have to have a photographer go. Jim in the parka, braving the cold with their scouts to watch Charles Tilson because Charles Tilson hit the only home run of the area code games in yeah, a game. right. I mean, that stands out. You know, guys who have done that in the past, that I remember are Carlos Quentin, did it in 1998 as a 14-year-old, and was like, Boom, on the national radar as a fourteen or fifteen year old, uh, like as a high school freshman. Justin Upton did the same thing. Delman Young did the same thing. I mean, they were the youngest players, they were the only guys in the home runs, but
0: I gotta mention Josh Silas
2: He hit Josh, Josh Siles Siles Siles. Yeah. As a junior and then hit an awesome home run that I've watched on YouTube probably fifty times and going into his <laughs> senior year. But there you go. I mean like you can make you when you do that at Long Beach State's Blair Field and you do the area code games. That's, that's that does not go away. That does not got a scout's mind. And generally the guys who do that are legit. So Charles Tilson uh is on the prospect radar and I can I just can't wait for those pictures. That's going to be <laughs> yeah. it's going to be considered awesome. No.
1: I believe okay. Stephen Bruno is one of those guys too who had a really good area codes and uh uh, a guy that the scouting directors just loved coming out of high school up in I believe New Jersey. Yep. Uh, he went to Virginia. Now he might be their starting shortstop this year. he has got to keep an eye on.
2: Okay, that's a good. as a name to tuck away as well. Uh, we had Dwight Smith Jr. We have some big league progeny. Yeah. Uh, who are some other big league progeny? Some other like this. This past season, it seemed like we had a a big. It was a big year for that um, in terms of like you know sons of big leaguers. Cam Bedrosian, Delano DeShields Jr. I know there are other guys. Um, it's not going to be quite as much. Doesn't seem like it's as much this, this year because
3: this year was just crazy. Off the charts.
2: I mean, like the biggest, the, the most famous name to me on here is uh, again my, just because of the college thing for me is Nicky Delmonico, the latest Delmonico, son of Rod, younger brother Big-time of Tony, who's guy, catching yeah. in the the Dodgers organization. Uh, is there, are there any other names like that? Any other uh, sons uh, of uh, Dante Bichette Jr.? I guess. is yes. kind of The biggest name as far as that stuff goes. That's the biggest one. Not yeah. the best player, but the biggest name. Alex
0: Santana, uh, his dad played for the Braves.
2: Okay. Or Dylan he? Maples' is
3: dad. Is this from with, the uh, Yeah, no, no he he was The shortstop of the Mets. Okay. Dylan Maples' dad didn't make the big leagues, but he was a second, third rounder. He was a second round pick. Second rounder of the Orioles. Okay.
2: Okay. Um, so, I mean, there's definitely, as always, there's guys with great baseball background. And actually, there was somebody in the Hawaii Collegiate League. Chuck Peterson,
1: the number one prospect. Chuck
2: Peterson, there you go, who signed. Uh, he signed yeah. uh, his son. And there was, but there was somebody else I I looked up in one of our lists whose dad was a 1976 first round pick of the Indians. So uh, oh, and then Sean Dunstan, Jr. Dunson, yeah. uh, that, that's uh, and, uh, I don't I don't know who that is. That is Tyson Ross's younger brother. Oh, Joe Ross. Okay, yeah. I like that. Tyson Ross uh, uh, younger younger brothers is good. That that works for me. Um, Aaron, before we go, just any general impressions that you have of uh, you know other uh, other players. And there, there's some, we didn't touch on this. I meant to. I'm looking at Taylor Youngman's name. Are there other players like Taylor Youngman, college guys who didn't play this summer, yeah. who kind of maybe are like kind of flying under the radar? I mean, like in my mind, uh, Trevor Bauer is one of those kind of guys. Trevor Bauer. a lot.
1: Danny Holson from Virginia. Uh, maybe it's not as – the stuff isn't quite as loud as Perk, but uh, I think he's the next left-hander in the college class. I mean, it, it's just – he's just so polished, uh, and the stuff is good. I mean, it's it's a – Pretty firm, fastball, low 90s. I mean, it's a good break ball and a good changeup and a great feel for pitching. Uh, and he's a winner. He's, his track record speaks for itself. Um, Danny Holson, uh, John Stilson at uh, at Texas A&M, oh, is yeah. another guy, did not throw this summer. Um, I, I could see him really going high. I, I think he could be a top 10 pick. I mean, he's, he's mid-90s. His stuff is, is filthy. The... the, the Change up the split finger. I mean, it's 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 I like how you turned over the change up, too. That wasn't a straight change, you turned it over a little
2: bit. You got some late movement there. The, the guy I was thinking of uh, back off track for a, a split second was Brennan Glass, the fifth year senior at Kent State, whose father, Tim, was the first round pick of the Indians in 1976. Not quite what I was going for, but th- that that league list I will just go off track a little bit here. That league list was fascinating because you have the Adam Brett Walker guy, his dad played in, in the NFL. But then the next most interesting player on that list was Brent Suter, the left-hander at Harvard, who uh, was the man of Moeller High School, Molar, famed Moeller High School in Cincinnati. So he was like the, he was like their top basically senior uh, student as a student and athlete and all these stuff, uh, all Ivy League in the spring. And then the guy who was the best position player in the league other than Adam Brett Walker is at Lake Erie College, which is new to Division II. This Ryan Rua guy, yeah, Nathan's so like – <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> um but Ryan Rua was it also the the last name is the first name of uh isn't that Rua Christine? Uh, uh one of the staffers here at Baseball America's daughter. So that those names stuck out to me um for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> but uh but uh the other guys that we wanted to, I also want to talk about here And for summer college, we talked about Holzen, who we love, young men who didn't play this summer, guys who did play this summer, Preston Tucker, I don't know. Brutal summer, B.A. Volmuth in the Cape. Yeah. Uh, How much can a bad Cape really hurt? I don't want to talk about that specifically on those guys, but because of the past, like a guy like Jared Parker had a bad Cape last summer. Ryan Lamar Um, last year, too.
1: That's right. How much does it hurt to have a bad Cape with your draft status? I mean, you know, I don't think think it's crippling because, uh, yeah, you know, these guys will form impressions of you. Um, but none of these teams, have even, like you said earlier, none of these teams have even started their, their follow lists yet. I mean, right. it's not like they're going to get buried. I mean, everyone's going to come and see Preston Tucker a hundred times in the spring because everyone's going to want to see Florida anyway. Right. Uh, he's a legit guy. And, and, you know, I think Jim Callis, even when he was doing his Cape calls and he was asking a scouting director about Preston Tucker, and he said, yeah, he was terrible this summer, but I still like the bat. I, I still believe him. I don't think he's going to hit. I mean, it's... Guys have, you know, the, the summer can be um, an aberration too because at the at the end of a long season, right. it started back in February, and I mean, you know, it, it's something that you want to see if a guy can hit with wood. Um, it can be a strike against you if you don't, but uh, I don't think it's it's crippling by any means.
2: Is there a guy, maybe Connor or Nathan? Or was there a guy who maybe had a terrible summer showcase year last year? Not a terrible, but a bad summer showcase year. Who then kind of resuscitated himself in the spring and. With his draft stock Well
3: Chris Bryant did not look good at all last summer. Uh Termin Stars, he was popping balls up in the cage and batting practice, didn't do anything in games. Uh, so you know, I mean he kind of I mean obviously he didn't get picked high enough to sign and you know go off the pro ball. He did, but he, he did, did kind bigger. of reestablish himself, you he know. Made the he, top 10. And he set a he set he a record home runs actually. Set a record for Nevada home runs. Uh, in his career, I think, maybe even in a season. I mean, he hit over 20. Was that Jeff Long's um, record? Or... So, no, it was not. Oh. Um, he just is a good hitter. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so he did kind of reestablish himself after a, a tough summer. So, I mean, I think it's the same thing. You know, a bad summer isn't crippling. Um, you know, it'll be remembered. But, you know, if you go
2: out then in the spring and have a good spring, that's the last thing that the scouts will remember. We're going to wrap up the podcast because the battery's low. I should have brought the power core, but I didn't. I think 45 minutes in the 2011 draft is sufficient to what's your appetite for next year's draft. We'll have another podcast next week just to wrap up a lot of the minor league season, the playoffs. I'm sure Matt Eddy will want to talk about the Governor's Cup of the International League. We'll try to squeeze that in as well. Uh, but we hope you enjoyed this podcast. We'll be back with another podcast next week at BaseballAmerica.com. And, again, we want to thank MLB Network for their sponsorship of the podcast and remind you that if you go to MLB, BaseballAmerica.com, Backslash MLB Network, you can get four issues of Baseball America for just four bucks. The trial offers our special MLB Network offer. So for Connor Glassie, Nathan Rohde, and Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time
1: on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.